Well, I have great news this morning. Texas Tech's in the Sweet 16. Oh, come on. Got to be, yeah, got to be better response than that, you know. Golly, where's the spirit in you, right? Just kidding. I mean, they are in the Sweet 16, but I've got better news than that. But I'm celebrating for sure. So if I get a little fired up this morning, you'll know why. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. This morning we're going to be talking about a spirit-fueled church that's on mission. That's our topic. And as we talk about a spirit-fueled church, FBC, what I'm dealing with this morning is not the church globally. I'm not talking about churches that are in our vicinity. I'm talking about you and me. FBC Belton. So this is a family talk. Now, if you're not a member of First Baptist Belton, that's okay. If you're a believer in Christ, what I'm going to share with us this morning is true of you as well. But I am dealing with us as a church. Who are we to be and what are we to do? What happens when we're filled with the Spirit? What does He fuel us to be like and to do and accomplish for the glory of God? If you'll stand with me in the honor of reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 24. We'll begin reading in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You may be seated. So the disciples are standing at this crucial moment in God's plan of redemption for the world. According to verse 46 and verse 47, All scripture has anticipated these three things. Number one, that the Christ should suffer. Number two, that he would rise from the dead. And number three, that forgiveness, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And so all of history revolves around these three events and two of them the disciples have already witnessed. They they witnessed Jesus's death on the cross They also witness Jesus rising from the dead. And now, as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples are about to witness the forgiveness of sins proclaimed to all nations. In fact, Jesus is about to make them part of that proclamation to all nations. But before this happens, Jesus makes it very clear at the end of verse 49 that they are to wait on the spirit until they're clothed with power on high. Jesus makes it very clear that they can't handle the mission he's calling them to. They need the Holy Spirit's power. We know that Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit's power because in the book of Acts, in Acts 1-8, Luke tells us that Jesus was talking about the spirit because he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So before this happens, you don't have the power to be my witnesses. You don't have the spiritual equipment you need for the mission. And more than that, nobody's going to listen to you because it's the spirit that must come to awaken the dead hearts to the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. So he tells them, stay in the city until you receive power from on high. That must happen first. This is going to be a signal that God is gathering the nations through the preaching of Christ. This is when the long-awaited age would finally come, when God would pour out His Spirit. And then the church, His disciples, His apostles would be fueled to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Wait here until you're clothed with power from on high. And we know that the Spirit does come. The Pentecost. And he does empower the disciples and the church. And so my question this morning is, what is it the Spirit fuels the church to do? What is it the church, what is it that the Spirit empowers and emboldens us as believers in Christ, us as First Baptist Belton, to do and to be? What I want to do is I want to make four observations from the book of Acts. And I know what you just thought. You just thought he's going through the whole book of Acts. It'll be okay. We're going to go fast. Four observations from the book of Acts that characterize a spirit-fueled people and church. The first thing that we see in the book of Acts, so this is after the Spirit has come and, and He is empowered and, and He has filled the disciples and the early church. The first thing that we see after the Pentecost, one of the things that we notice in the book of Acts is that the Spirit fuels the church to proclaim the gospel. The Spirit fuels the church to speak of Christ. One of the connections Luke loves to make, I love to, I love to see this, um, in his gospel, Luke and the book of Acts, is this, having the Spirit and proclaiming Jesus always go together. Every time someone is filled with the Spirit, they can't help but say something about Jesus. If you, if you flip through Luke, in Luke chapter 1, you see Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant. Mary comes to visit her. The Bible tells us Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaims with a loud cry. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You are carrying my Lord, Mary. She's filled with the Spirit, speaks of Christ. In the same chapter, Zechariah, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Who is he speaking about? Jesus. He's filled with the spirit. He proclaims Christ. Continuing on in the book of Luke, Simeon, when he's holding baby Jesus in his arms, the Holy Spirit comes on him and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel, filled with the spirit, proclaiming Christ. Continue on. We're told John the Baptist, John the Baptist is filled with the spirit. What else does he do but proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? He goes and proclaims Christ and preaches the gospel over and over again. Even Jesus, 
The Spirit anoints Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, the Spirit has anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then we come to the end of Luke, where we just read. And the same is going to be true of the apostles. They're going to be filled with the Spirit, and they are going to then proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. And then what happens after Pentecost? Now you come to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, Peter and John... Filled with the Spirit, proclaim Christ. They preach Jesus. They're sharing the gospel. All the apostles in chapter 5, they're preaching Jesus. In chapter 6 and 7 of Acts, especially chapter 7, you have Stephen who is preaching Jesus. He's proclaiming Christ. He's filled with the Spirit. You're going to see those words over and over and over again in the book of Acts. Philip preaches Jesus in chapter 8. Then Paul, after his conversion, is filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 9. And we know what Paul began to do. Proclaiming Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles in chapter 10. Barnabas, chapter 11. Apollos, chapter 18. And on and on and on the story goes. The Spirit fuels the church to speak about the gospel. To tell the good news of Jesus And the good news of Christ is proclaimed from the mouths of his followers. And so the question that confronts us is this. First Baptist Belston, you and me. The question that confronts us is this. Can we honestly say we're a spirit-filled people if no Jesus is coming out? Over and over and over again. Um, and you can you can read online, you can read different articles, different opinions, different thoughts, even within. And we're just going to be us for a second. Even this church conversations happen about church growth. Why isn't the church growing? Maybe we need to change this or that. Well, if we focus more time and energy on this, then maybe we'd see more people here. And I believe that. I believe evaluating is a good thing. I believe we need to look at what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. We need to be evaluating and asking those kind of questions. But if we're honest and we really want to talk about healthy church growth, then the question must be asked. When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When's the last time you've opened your mouth and proclaimed the gospel to a lost person? Do you even know a lost person? Because we can strategize and we can, we can program and we can do all of this kind of stuff. But the truth is this. People reach people. And we must become a church. If we're going to be healthy and we're going to continue to grow. And I'm not talking about First Baptist Belton growth. I'm talking about expanding the kingdom of God. If we're going to be that kind of church, we must open our mouth and begin to tell the gospel to people. Amen. That's the way we grow. People reach people. Healthy church growth happens as saved people go and faithfully proclaim the gospel to the lost. I understand there's obstacles to overcoming speaking the gospel to people. I know some of us, we're just natural at it. I'm not. I'm bold up here, but man, get me in the neighborhood. I'm a little more scared. 
But I know that there's obstacles. But I also know the Spirit enables us to overcome those obstacles. Everything we need for bold witness, faithful efforts, prayerful attitudes, humble speech, clear explanations of the gospel, broken-hearted pleas for people to come to faith in Christ, everything we need, the Spirit is able to provide. In fact, if you want your witness to increase, one of the best things for you to do is to ask the Lord every single day to fill you with His Spirit. This is what happens in the book of Acts. If you look at Acts chapter 4, I love Acts chapter 4 because what you have here is you have Peter and John. They're speaking and they're proclaiming Christ. They're preaching. And it says that, that the leaders and all these people are getting greatly annoyed at what he's talk, at what they're talking about. In verse 8 of chapter 4, you're actually going to see that it says Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter begins to, they, they, they begin to talk and, and they tell Peter and John, they say, stop preaching in Jesus' name. Stop doing what you're doing. I wonder if that would be said of us as the people of God in Belton. And later on they say, stop doing this. And then Peter responds to him because he's filled with the Spirit. He says, we don't obey man. We obey God. And we will continue to proclaim Christ. And they don't have any way to charge them. They don't have anything to charge them with. And so they say, stop and go on. And so Peter and John come back and, and in verse 23, I want us to look at this and see what happens here. In chapter 4, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, so they, they prayed. Listen to their prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot invade? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Our first response, church, is not a better method. Even though there's things that we can do differently. Our first response when it comes to sharing Christ is not a book on evangelism, although there's good ones out there and they're helpful tools. Our first response is not signing up for a discipleship course, even though we have those that help you understand what the gospel is and how to proclaim the gospel and share the gospel with your friends and your neighbors and those that you work with. Our first response is prayer for the Spirit because the Spirit empowers the church to speak the gospel. 
And so would you please pray? Pray, pray in your Sunday school classes and in your life groups that meet during the week. Pray as a family that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit, that he would fuel you to speak the gospel, that he would give you people in your workplace and in your neighborhood and wherever you are, that he would place people around you that don't know Christ that need to hear him. Ask him. Ask him to embolden you and empower you. And then trust Him. And open your mouth and proclaim the good news of Jesus. The Spirit fuels the church to speak the gospel. Secondly, the second thing that I want us to see is the Spirit fuels the church to serve one another. Fuels the church to serve one another. You'll see after Pentecost or at Pentecost, we observe the disciples and the early church using their gifts and abilities to serve one another. And this this strengthens them and encourages the church. And they continue on with their mission. And this plays out in a variety of ways. For example, in Acts chapter two. You see the saints that are mentioned and they're they're worshiping together. They're singing psalms together. They're listening to the teaching of the scripture. They're breaking bread together. But it also says that there's people within that church that have material needs. And the spirit is moving others in the church to meet those needs by selling their possessions. In in Acts chapter six, the need arises for seven men to help serve tables. So that the apostles can continue preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And it actually says of those seven men that they need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so these men are selected so that they can serve tables, an act of service. And this enables the apostles to continue to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus. If you look in Acts chapter 15, everybody's been out of shape because of the Gentiles coming to Christ and they need to instruct them. So the apostles come together uh, with the elders and the church in Antioch to get matters lined out. What are we going to do with them? How, what can we tell them? And so they write this letter back to the Gentiles. And here's what they say in this letter in Acts chapter 15. They say, you're good to go. Here's the only two things that we would tell you. Number one, don't eat any idle food. And number two, uh, stay away from sexual immorality. And then at the end of that letter, it says this. And listen to what it says. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles and the elders and the church to make a decision for the sake of the Gentiles following Jesus. The apostles and the elders used their spirit-given gifts and abilities to lead, and this encouraged the church. In another place, in Acts chapter 9, we find a woman named Dorcas who is full of good works and acts of charity. You continue looking through the book of Acts. Barnabas at one point. He's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He comes and exhorts the church in Antioch to remain faithful to the Lord. The result of that, they're encouraged and the Lord adds to their number daily. 
in Acts chapter 20. It's the Holy Spirit who gives the church overseers to care for the saints, feeding them the word and protecting them from false teaching. In Acts chapter 18, Apollos is said to be a brother, fervent in spirit and an effective teacher. And so the Spirit gives gifts and abilities to to the disciples and the apostles and the early church. And they use those for the good of the church. And this strengthens and encourages them to carry on the mission that God has given them. And I haven't even mentioned the, the gifts that are, that are written in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 and 1 Peter chapter 4. And so all throughout the book of Acts and through the majority of the remainder of the New Testament, we see the Spirit empowering people with gifts, talents, abilities, and resources to serve one another. And this strengthens the church for its mission. And so my question for us, for First Baptist Belton, is this. Are you using your spiritual gifts to strengthen this body of believers? If you are in Christ, you've been given gifts by the Spirit to serve this church. This means that you can serve. This also means that you must serve. The scripture is clear with us. Paul, Paul talks about how the members of the, of the body, you and me, if they aren't using their gifts for the body, then the whole body suffers. I love what one commentator wrote as he was expounding on this idea of gifts and serving the church. He wrote this, church is not like going to the movies. It's more like being a soldier in an army. Every soldier needs to do his part. And munching popcorn while his fellow soldiers do battle in the foxhole doesn't count. We must serve in this place. Every single one of us. Some of you, you have gifts to think hard over difficult matters and and bring God's word to bear on issues that help this church. As we continue to carry on the mission, some of you have gifts of bringing joy and encouragement to the church body. Some of you, some men and women are here in here are that for me. You encourage me weekly. Others of you have been gifted to teach. Some of you have entrepreneurial skills. Others of you are gifted with acts of service. Some of you are gifted with music. Some of you don't need to serve that way. (laughs) Including me. Some of you are gifted in technology and lights and sound. Others of you are really gifted in mercy. Whatever the case, each of you have gifts from the Spirit to serve and to strengthen the body for the mission. And so my charge to you is simply this. Remain faithful with the gifts you've been given for this church. Pursue it with all the zeal the Spirit mightily inspires within you. Pour yourself out For the benefit of this church and for the glory of God. The Spirit fuels the church to serve one another. Thirdly, we see through the book of Acts, the Spirit fuels the church to scatter to the nations. 
to scatter to the nations. We saw at the end of chapter, at the end of Luke, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Acts 1 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the rest of Acts reveals that the work of the Spirit was unfolding. In Acts chapter 2, the Lord adds to their number daily. Chapter 6, the disciples are increasing in Jerusalem. The church spreads throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria in chapter 9. Then to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch in chapter 11. Then Paul, after his conversion, he's filled with the Spirit and he goes and he scatters. And the gospel is now in Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Until, turn to Acts chapter 28. Until we get to Acts chapter 28. And I want you to see what Luke wrote. As he concludes the book of Acts. Acts 28 verse 28. He says this. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And so what he's saying here is this. We have been scattering and the gospel has been spreading. People have been responding to Christ by faith. They've been putting their trust and faith in Christ alone. We've scattered so far that the Gentiles are now hearing the gospel. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to listen and they too are going to respond by faith and put their trust and faith in Christ. And here's what's going to happen. They too are going to begin scattering. And so the mission of God is going to continue scattering to all nations. And the point is this. This is where the Spirit compels His people to keep scattering in the onward march of the gospel until Christ's return. This, this in Acts 28, this is you and me. Actually, we're living in Acts 29. Where you and I are to continue to scatter for the sake of the nations. Because the, the truth is this. There will be multitude of worshipers from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation present at the throne on the last day. And the only way they'll be present on the last day is if they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe. And the Spirit fuels followers of Christ, you and me, to carry the gospel to all nations because there's no other basis for anyone to be saved. And they must hear of Jesus And know that salvation can be found in no other name. So my question is, what is your contribution to scattering? I'm not speaking primarily about financially or in prayer, although those are vital. Those are crucial as we seek to tell of his glory among the nations. What are you doing to scatter for the sake of people knowing If the Spirit fueled the early church to scatter to be on mission, how might you and and we look more like that? What would it look like? Let's Let's think close first. What would it look like if your Sunday school class or your department or your life group, what would it look like for them to gather and to scatter? Or 
I'm going to, I'm going to push this a little bit. Or are we just gathering? And we never really scatter. But what would it look like? What would it look like if your Sunday school class, your department, your life group began to scatter? Could, could you target a particular neighborhood or even a couple of streets and set goals to meet people in order to share the gospel with them? What would need to change in your schedule to make disciples of people in an adopted school or maybe even an apartment complex? Because we're either scattering to make disciples or we're being disobedient. So what might that look like for your group? What might that look like for your family? Pray about what your role will be in scattering. I would also encourage you to examine your surroundings. The world's right here in front of us. Examine your surroundings. Maybe there's a particular apartment complex with refugees or an ethnic restaurant or grocery store that you could frequent in hopes of engaging the people and building relationships so that you could share the gospel. Maybe you have an extra room in your house. You could host a foreign student in your home while they're in college. Seek ways to engage with the culture around you. But let me press a little further. How are you scattering for the nations that have yet to hear? We have mission trips this summer as a church in an effort to scatter so that others may hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And some of those trips have yet to be filled. A church this large. And we haven't filled our mission trips. I love that we have a church that is passionate about global missions. That we not only pray and give, but we send and we go. This is a commandment for all of us. This is for all of us. We have a mandate with everything in us to become an amplifier of the beauty of Jesus among all peoples in this planet. There's no room for negotiating with God. There's not two categories. Those called to the nations and those who and those who don't feel that this is their particular thing. Because the reality is the moment that grace found you, the moment that grace restored you, the moment that grace redeemed you, you became a participator in God's global purpose. And surely, surely the God that saved you warrants more than just raising a hand and praying a prayer. Surely the God that saves you warrants more than nominal adherence, church attendance and casual acceptance. No, we lose our life for his sake. Our dreams, our plans, our possessions, our hopes, our desires, our comforts. And we say, God, use me. Use everything that I have and everything that I am so that others may know who you are. I am yours. Use me. Both here and there. This isn't about local versus global. I don't see that in the Bible. This is local and global, and we're all called to it. The Spirit fuels His church to scatter to the nations. God has invited us into His glorious plan of scattering to make Him known among our own people as well as the world's unreached people. And so pray about it.
Read God's word. Think strategically about scattering. Ask yourself, what's my contribution going to look like? May we not neglect one of the ways the Spirit empowers His people, namely, scattering us to speak the truth of forgiveness to others. Finally, number four. We see through the book of Acts, the Spirit fuels the church to suffer for Christ's sake. Now, Matt, I was okay with speaking the gospel, serving and scattering, but I don't know about this last one. As I was reading through Luke and Acts, I couldn't help but notice that, that whenever the Spirit fills someone, it's not, it doesn't lead to health, wealth, and prosperity. Actually, if you read the Bible, some of the most spirit-filled people in the Bible are those who suffer the most. I'm thinking of people like John the Baptist, Stephen, Peter, Paul. The scriptures tell us at some point in their story that each of these men were filled with the spirit. And it's not too much further that we read of them suffering greatly. John the Baptist beheaded. Stephen stoned to his death. What becomes evident is that to be filled with the Spirit is actually to live like Christ in taking up a cross. You see, Christ himself was full of the Spirit. He even even had the Spirit without measure, John's Gospel tells us. And out of love, he suffered and laid down his life on the cross. And that same Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is evident in the apostles and the early church. The majority of them suffering for Christ's sake. Church, we're not empowered to escape suffering. We're empowered by the Spirit to endure suffering for Christ's sake. There's no doubt that the Spirit will lead us to deny ourselves certain pleasures in this life. The Spirit will lead us to give our time, talents, and, and, and treasure sacrificially. The Spirit will lead us to speak of Jesus even when this setting means you're going to look weird and possibly unpopular. The Spirit will lead us to be uncompromising in our social ethics in regards to marriage and abortion and lying to employees or customers. The Spirit empowers us to suffer for the sake of Christ. But if we're really being honest this morning, we really don't know what it's looked like, what it looks like to truly suffer for the sake of Christ. Yet. Yet. The intensity of hostility towards Christians, the amount of suffering for believers in America and around the world, and persecution for those that follow Christ are only going to increase. We will face persecution and hostility. It's inevitable. Jesus said it this way. If they hated me, they'll hate you. It's inevitable. If you're following Christ, the world will hate you. You will be persecuted. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Listen to what he's telling them. Don't be surprised. 
Don't be surprised by this if, if this is strange. No, this is normal. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. It's at this point that we can take the theology of the prosperity teachers and flush it somewhere. Life in the spirit is not some kind of triumphalism that lacks the agony of a cross. Life in the spirit embraces the agony of a cross to see a lost world saved. Suffering for the sake of the gospel is our calling. First Peter 2. He says this, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. The spirit empowers us to endure. We will suffer and face persecution for following Christ. So let this last point sober you on the one hand. That if you pray to God. And ask him to fill you with his spirit and to save you. Consider the cost of following Christ. Because it will cost you everything. But on the other hand, let this point encourage you. That when you suffer for Christ's sake, you never have to guess whether you're going to make it or not. The spirit is totally capable of helping you endure. Even if you lose your life. God didn't leave us to endure suffering on our own. We have the spirit within us and he enables us to be faithful through it. And church, we need not fear. Jesus says this in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome it. I've I've read the end of the book and you have too. he wins. He wins. We do not have to fear. We do not have to fear. And so church, the spirit fuels us to proclaim the gospel, to serve one another, to scatter for the sake of the gospel to the nations and to suffer for Christ's sake. If none of these characterize you, then I would ask that you would consider very seriously whether you have the spirit of all at all. And if not right here in this place here in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I'll be right down here and there'll be some other ministers available that you can come and you can just say, I don't, I don't, I don't know Jesus. I'm not a believer. I'm not a follower, but I, I know the cost and I want to be a part. I want this. And we'll share with you more about how to do that. He'll forgive you and save you and give you the same promise he gives all of us. And that's his Holy Spirit. Maybe a few of us in here, some of these are true of us and others aren't. Maybe some are weak and others are stronger. Give thanks to God this morning for his spirit in you and then ask him to fill you with more of his power. So that you can go and speak the gospel. That you can serve in this church. That you can scatter for the sake of the nations. And that you can suffer for his sake. And take every confidence that he'll enable you to do this. All for the mission Of making much of Jesus Christ. Both here. And around the world. Let's pray.
Dearly Father, I thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. I thank you that you have given us your spirit to speak of your great love, to serve one another in this church, to scatter for the sake of the nations to know you, and to suffer for your namesake. God, I pray that Each of us in this room would consider the cost of following Jesus this morning. For some of us that don't know Christ, I pray that your spirit would draw them to yourself and that they'll come into a relationship with you this morning. And for us as as believers in this church, I pray that we we would know fully as much as we can how much of the spirit we have within us And that the Spirit emboldens us and empowers us to be on mission for the glory of God. God, I pray that these four things would mark First Baptist Belton. For your name's sake. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.